beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. And I'm Zachary McCoy, darling. And we are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worthy Podcast, show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history, try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week, Zachary McCoy, <laughs> darling? <laughs> darling, indeed. Where a beautiful but bored young woman navigates the fashion and film scene and the relationships that happen as a result. All right. This is everybody's first time seeing Darling. Yes. Yes, it is. I thought I had seen it when I was watching Best Picture nominees when we covered this year. But the further I got in the movie, the more I realized I must have only watched a little bit of the beginning because I didn't remember anything that happened after like 15 minutes. Mm. So, yes. There we go. So, I'll ask for I don't know what happened that week. I'd probably have to go and listen to that episode to yeah. see why I didn't watch this, but I did not watch this. All right. Oh, you know what? I must have just had a busy week because I don't think I watched any of these films that weren't The Sound of Music. Rings a bell. Yeah. Well, speaking of ringing a bell, let's ring the bell of doing an Oscar. Break it down. All right, darling. It's best story and screenplay written directly for the screen. And it gives Frederic Raphael an Academy Award. It beats out Casanova 70, written by a bunch of Italian guys. I'm not reading all these names this week. (laughs) Don't feel like it. There are one, two, three, four, five, six names attached to the writing of this script. There's a Furio. There is a Furio. So, those are those. Um, Those Magnificent Men in Their Flying Machines, written by Jack Davies and Ken Anakin. The Train, written by Franklin Cohen and Frank Davis. And The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, written by Jacques Demy. But we're not done. Darling is also nominated for, as I mentioned up top, Best Picture. (laughs) Joseph Johnny, an Academy Award nomination. He is beat out by Robert Wise who produced The Sound of Music. It is nominated for Best Director, giving John Schlesinger an Academy Award. It is also beaten by Robert Wise for The Sound of Music. Julie Christie wins Best Actress, playing Diana Scott, the titular darling, as it were. Uh, it is also nominated for second. Uh, it also wins Best Costume Design, Black and White, giving Julie Harris an Academy Award. Well done, Julie. So three nominations, in, or five nominations, and three wins. That is our Oscar breakdown. Thank you. You're welcome. That was a pretty winning for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nice 60% takeaway. That's not mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about this movie. That's this movie. This movie, um, took a bit for me to get into it, and then when I got into it, I was very off and on. Eh, I don't know if I actually liked this movie. I like parts, I was, but I was curious if that was going to be where you sat on it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. But Zach, what what were your first impressions? So my very first impression is, you know, going from watching a majority of American Hollywood films to an occasional 
a European film or this film in particular, it's just like a culture shock almost. Cause you have, you know, Hayes code censored, uh, hush, hush, wink, wink about sex. And then you have this one. It's just like sex. Here you go. Here it is right there for you. Um, and I like these kinds of movies that are like grounded in their realism and deal with, uh, just the stress and anxiety of being a human being and, cinema verite as it were yeah and there's you know there's a lot of french new wave influence and uh so i like these types of movies a lot i like this movie um i think part of my struggle sometimes with these types are are identifying with characters you don't have to identify with a character but i i think travis said before sometimes you want somebody to root for it i just don't know who i was rooting for i wanted i wanted Diana to be happy, but I was like, I don't know if it's possible for her. <laughs> you know, it's uh, unfortunate, but um, I like the movie, and we'll talk more about it as we go after I want to hear Paul's initial thoughts. Okay, I'm going to say I'm a little on the fence on this movie. I think there's so much good in this movie. I'm going to kind of use this episode to parse out some thoughts and see where i stand at the end of it okay because um unfortunately i with the quick turnaround on these two episodes and uh having plans through most of the weekend i just didn't get to this until today and i haven't got to sit with it as long as i would right. like but there's so much i do love about this movie like initially i think uh diana's a wonderful character. She's very nuanced and shaded and mm -hmm. she's, she's broken and she's just a very interesting human being. Yeah. It's at least a case study of a human being. Right. Um, so, so that kept me really like reeled in to see what she was going to do next. Yeah. I, that's, that's what I agree with very much. I, th I think, um, you know, there, like you said, with the nuance, it, there's the, her being bored with things. There's her seeking either acceptance. Like uh, I was looking at, you know, the film doesn't come right out and say that she has a personality disorder or anything like that. I mean, there's, there's addictive personalities or there's avoidant personality disorders where you're never satisfied and happy and you're always seeking that thing that'll make you happy or, you know, she's unfortunately being used by a lot of people and she clearly doesn't enjoy sex very yeah, much. And, the film makes that very clear. And, and this is, this is a film. I think, I think I'm having a hard time connecting on because I don't have all of the cultural context. Yeah. Um, because I don't necessarily understand the commentary of, uh, Frederick Raphael and John Schlesinger on what was going on in the swing in sixties as yeah. they called it in Britain at the time. Yeah. It, it's hard so, to find where the film kind of stands. I, I didn't mean to interrupt your thought. Oh, you're fine. I interrupted your thought. Well, see, and I guess that, that's kind of like, I, I think Zach you kind of nailed it right on the head on the biggest problem that I had with the movie is I, I do like to have somebody to root for, even if it's, even if it's to root against, and I, I just at no point was, I think, given that I feel like 
Dan was struggling with obvious bipolarism. And yet you you go, this is a time we're we're, we're seeing what it looks like through the modern lens on like, this is, this is clearly what's going on here. Her, just her ups and her downs, her, her, her manicness and her depressiveness. and, And you're seeing all of this. So you, you kind of pity her, but at the same time, she's going about all the decisions wrong. Um, and not necessarily that she was going by things wrong, because I feel like her, she was just trying to be happy. Mm-hmm. And again, you can't fault that. Right. But there's just a lot of selfishness in ha- in that trying to make herself happy. And again, you it's know, just... and. Not not to not to write off anything sure. that she does do wrong, but she's twenty, and that is a time to be selfish. Oh that yeah, the time to be selfish. Just that her her flings become these like ever increasing like deep relationships that she right. immediately willing to bail on as soon as she's a little bored. Right. And, that's interesting. Yeah, and she. Uh, did you just say she ups the stakes or they like, she goes from, okay, she married a, a young boy that, you know, maybe they shouldn't have got married to marrying a, a guy who has a family to marrying like, uh, well, she never dip- married. She, oh, yeah. She, never. she doesn't marry again until the end when she's married right, to right. Prince. And, you know, they have that one fight with her and the other guy and she's still married to her husband. He's still married to his wife. Right. They've just, absconded together to yeah, live yeah. in this apartment. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know, going all the way up to becoming a princess and, uh, you know, ups the, the responsibilities and the stakes of everything pretty highly. And yeah. And the, the ending is, I think the part that bugs me the most, because again, I'm not rooting for or rooting against this character. But the ending felt like it was trying to be a comeuppance that I don't think was deserved either. Right. And I don't know. See, and that's that's kind of where I'm sitting on that. Like, is it supposed to be a comeuppance or is it more supposed to be a uh like a warning saying like, hey, the chasing this kind of this kind of notoriety and chasing this just for the thrill of chasing it. This is where you're going to end up. Yeah. I mean, not specifically as the princess of Italy, yeah. but, <laughs> but you're, you're gonna, you're going to find the thing that you're chasing. Right. But it's going to come with this unintended consequence of now your life is completely empty because you didn't go there for the right reasons. Yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, it, it felt very much like she settled for that. Like, because miles was miles. Miles was just at no point. Was he advertising? He was anything more than what he was. Yeah. So once that shut down, she was like, well, I guess all I have left, like I have no other roads to turn. So the best road to go to is marrying the Prince of Italy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Again, it's just nothing felt deserved. Right. But at the same time, they 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 are just it's it's just led with consequences. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I, and I and I feel like with that being the entire movie, that may be a good thing. That may be the point of the film. Like it's just it it may be just this is a this woman's walk through life. We're mm-hmm. not supposed to gather anything beyond that. Like this, it's just that. But at the same time, take away from it what you're going to take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my favorite thing that I read into this film was looking at it as a, you know, a feminist critique of uh, the patriarchy, for lack of a better word. But, you know, you her whole life she's seen as this darling, beautiful object. And you have, like, the scene where it's all the men that are like, oh, we're going to make her the happiness girl. They're sitting around the table and they're like, okay, mm-hmm. this is, we're going to put this image forth and we're making these decisions. And, you know she she can use her body in something that makes her uncomfortable to right receive elevated stance and all um, and all these men all these men in this boardroom are all very crude and mm-hmm. sexualizing her like yeah they they hand a picture of the one guy and he's like i don't know how could i could ever get tired of looking at her and the one guy's got the balloon with the drawing of the naked woman on it yeah yeah, yeah and, it, and then which, finally she you know when she marries the uh Italian prince and she becomes again another symbol for him. He you know, he's not there very much, so she's left alone in this palatial place because very, she's a pretty thing. Very much a trophy wife. And then finally I I looked at it when um Robert forces her to go to the airport, like in a way you wanna I thought the film smartly handled the idea that you can, you can get away, you can run away, you could just leave it behind. But this man isn't letting her; like he's forcing her physically into the car, up to the airport. And by the time she has any chance of her running or something, there's the press and everything, just people yeah. and the male structure keeping her in place. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think that's a fine read. Absolutely. And another thing this film I feel like does a bit too much of is this is very much a hey, this is very much trying to be a progressive 60s film. So let's hit all of the topics. Like all of them. It's like, okay, so we're going to touch on racism. We're going to touch on homosexuality. We're going to throw an abortion in there real quick. Uh, like, I mean, there's just nothing it didn't want to just say, hey, this is cool for us to do right now. Right. And like they they touch on class disparity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do love how striking the image at the very beginning is when they're plastering her face over like a like a feed the starving children poster. Mm-hmm. And yep. They're showing all these all these like young black children just being like pasted over with this very empty and uh, poster of her, like promoting her own story above theirs. Yeah. I think I thought that was a real striking image. It was a nice way to start the film and it kind of sets a tone, Mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, they, they really packed in a lot. Yeah. At the same time, you know, we're, you're going to go over to the U S and there's no no uh, representation of abortion or homosexuality anywhere in any film at that point. Right. 
Like that's that's all just off limits. Right. And if there is like a foppish character in a movie, he's just there. He's yeah, he's just he's just eccentric. He's not not queer at all. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, my biggest quirk with this film, just the the, the narration, just felt so fucking unnecessary. It's kind no, of no, narration. I love the narration. The narration is one really. I love it because it's a very unreliable narrator. Ah, uh, okay, she, fair. She's saying a lot of things that are like she'll say them, and it's immediately being like walked back yeah. in the narrative, and it's supposed to be this. You know, the, the first thing you see is the my story mm-hmm. poster, and then mm-hmm. it's one of the last things you see too. So that book ends it to let you know that this is, you know, like she talks about when she's trying to go back into Catholicism, and she's talking to the one priest, and she's like, "Oh, did you know Father Chapman or whatever his name was? Now he's Monsignor Chapman." So there's there's a lot of this past tense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. You know, she's telling the story to this magazine or whatever it is that they pick up off the rack at the end. So she's she's already like glossing over her own story because it fits whatever image that she's created of this life that she's been chasing. But we continuously see her more and more like finding different ways to like drive herself into depression. Sure. All right. So well, on, I was go just going to say, I really, I think um, Julie Christie was great, a wonderful performance. Um, mm-hmm. And I always like seeing um, Lawrence Harvey, who I first discovered through this podcast with the Manchurian Candidate Manchurian and Candidate. Uh, Room at the Top. Oh, God, uh, he is gorgeous in this film. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to sexually objectify that man for a minute. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so when it comes to screenplay, um, I, I, it's it's tough for me, especially the I'd say first fifteen to twenty minutes of this film. I do like a dialogue heavy film, but when it's a bunch of British people talking really fast at each other, it is really hard to listen to <laughs> or understand. Yeah, some of the um, you know the party talk or the you know the uh, fashion scene stuff, but I listen to it and it's not necessarily the most engaging to me, but you know, that's all right. Um, cause it's setting the scene. It's setting the, the, <laughs> the British scene, I guess, for lack of a better word. But yeah. I, I think, um, it's witty in a way. And it's also very pointed. Like Paul said, I don't fully understand a lot of the, um, the, maybe the skewering or the social jabs that it might be making because, I. Uh, just don't know the history as well as I'd like, but I think it's there and it's intentional and the way Diana is written in particular, just like, like the scene of her shoplifting or something. That's just another extension of her personality and the things she's looking for that fast instant gratification and thrill. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. I, I think there's smart things with her character and that make, that's the best part of the writing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and oh, well. Uh, what I was just going to say, so I was looking at the IMDb storyline, and I'm already bothered by it because it says it's, you know, about her firmly determined to become rich and famous. And I'm like, that is no point is her goal from what I found throughout this movie. It's literally just like you said, it's instant gratification. It's just 
attempting to be happy when she's fucking bored. Yeah. So I, at no point I felt like she was just trying to be rich and famous. Like, just, like being being rich doesn't seem to be a goal for her. It mm-hmm. just is something that comes along with the notoriety that she is seeking. Like she could probably be okay not being famous. Uh but being famous is just one way to again get that instant gratification, get that yeah. recognition, have somebody see you and go, Oh my god, it's you. You're so gorgeous. You're aren't you, darling? Yeah. And and so she's like, Oh yeah, of course I am. Um yeah, because you know, she she goes off and she gets herself five seconds in a movie. Right. Where she's the she's the yeah. title character who's not on screen the whole time. And then as soon as she's off screen, she's not interested anymore. She's like, right. I don't even think I'm gonna do acting anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it it's it's not about the fame per se. It's just here's the thing. Here's the thing I'm gonna get recognized for because right. I because people think I'm beautiful. And then once that's done, it's like, okay, well, let's see, let's see what else I can do. It it almost comes off as it's the quickest way to be happy with the least amount of work to get there. Because yep. like when she was at that, you know, uh, audition was when you were just like, she's like, all right, I have to wait. Nope. I'm done. Yeah. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one scene with her in Italy, you know, after she, she finds out her husband's going to be away and she goes back to her room and she, she's physically like ripping at her clothes and at herself. And she's just so, stressed out i think that that's also a really good scene that again the film doesn't ever say what um what's ailing her in particular but and the one time you you probably actually see her her be truly happy is when she's playing with her niece yeah and you know and her sister's remarking on how great she is with kids and like or her nephew uh uh nephew yeah yeah nephew nephew yep I, I said niece and I, I started doubting myself from the moment I said it. But um, and then the nephew was like, hey, I didn't get any chocolate. She's like, oh, I'll get you chocolate. Yeah. She she seems she seems happy about that. And. You know, I, I hope the parallels with the abortion aren't right on purpose. Like, oh, she'd be happy if she was a mother. I, I don't think that's true because she kind of is at the end and she's still no. not happy. It again yeah, proves but, my point, though, where yeah. it's. Here you have a kid that is openly available to you with as little work as possible. Right. Where it's she would have to put in the time to ha- make a child have that child. Like, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's the path of least resistance to get to where she wants to go. Right. And, like, her having that abortion is probably the one big positive of those movies. Because this person doesn't need to be having her own children. Yeah. Because <laughs> then the movie just turned into Mommy Dearest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um but the the one the one big problem I have with it is that it, it just seems to be kind of against her as a promiscuous individual. Let the woman just go have sex. Chill out. Yeah. Yep. Like all all of her all of her flings have to come at the cost of somebody's feelings instead of instead of just being like, you know, oh I'm just gonna have sex with multiple men. Kind of like a she's got to have it situation, mm. Mm. and and that that was the one big thing that I 
kind of kind of kept me from really jumping into the movie is that it's like just just let the woman have fun. Yeah, that's true. I do see that. I think, um, yeah, there there's some stuff inside the film, especially with Robert. I think where he makes him look like so much of a hypocrite. It's like, dude, you walked out on your family, and you're gonna get mad at her for <laughs> having sex. It's like, or you know, see another guy. I, which yeah. is the case with a lot of men that cheat and then get mad at. You know, and this, this yeah. is actually a conversation that I was having with Leah not too long ago. Where I was like, you know, you you got into a relationship with someone who cheated on somebody else, and in this case, both of them. What the fuck did you expect at this point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying you can't make this person happy, but they got bored with the other person. You, why do you think you're an exception all of a sudden? Yeah. No, and that's again. I think pulls back to the just nobody to root for or against because again, Robert. You know, you you see what she does to him, but you knowing what he has been doing to his wife, and yeah, and, it, and I think it just kind of goes to people are messy. Sometimes people are just messy. Indeed. Yep. I you know I root for Malcolm, the gay photographer. Maybe, yeah, right. Yeah, he, yeah. Yo, that's the dude who forever. lived his life this entire fucking <laughs> film. Like he was like, you know what? Good for him. Yeah, Malcolm. Malcolm's great. <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, any additional notes on this film? No, no. no. I, I, I think I got everything I needed to say out. And yeah. All right. I like that. I like a lot of this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Paul, I'm going to go ahead and assume this is not in the American Film Registry. It is not. Yeah. <laughs> it is British. Um. And the only three films from 1965 that are in the registry are Evergreen, a short subject experimental film, Felicia, documentary short subject, and our best picture winner, The Sound of Music. All right. Well, then let's just go ahead and jump into our Oscar worsties. Wait, I did it. Fuck. (laughs) It's been so long. Where's the judgment? God damn it. <laughs> I love it. And Zach. Hello, sir. Does this movie deserve best original screenplay? So I've only seen part of one film other than this one, and that's The Umbrellas of Shaborg, which I started watching but haven't finished. Um, and, you know, I am liking that film, and I think I will continue to like it, so I'm going to finish it. Uh, you know, I jokingly sent the picture of the guy who's like all the singing <laughs> doesn't yeah. please me because an entirely song musical like this is my least favorite kind, but the music is so good that it's not bothering me so much. <laughs> Plus, it's in French. I think if it and were in fun. gorgeous, yes, yes. So I'm excited to finish that. Um, I think, but I'm discovering. My personal issue, what, why I don't like musicals that are entirely sung, is for some reason it takes me away from emotional connection to the character because I, I crave like the realistic it's, conversations mixed with music. It is so funny to me that you are a music guy and you cannot emotionally connect to music in movies. The presentation, I, I love a musical number sometimes, but yeah, it is kind of it is odd. I don't know. It. it 
it's not a judgment anyway. It's it's an observation. It's yeah, funny it, to me. It's curious. <laughs> very curious. So at this time, I'll have to say yes. I do believe Darling deserved the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. All right. Well, having not seen any of the other movies at all, I, I mean, I'm going to say yes. Because you know what? This, this, this movie has sparked conversation with us. Mm-hmm. More so than one has in the last few weeks, um, and I think that's that's pretty telling on on a film's writing. So, yeah, you know what? Yes, I think it deserves it. So, I I think a lot. I know I've said that a few times now, but mm-hmm. I I want to reiterate it so I can uh, go where I need to go, which is this is doing a lot. There's, as Jonathan said, there's a lot of stuff packed into this movie. And I don't think any of it is out of place. Thanks to see positive queer characters in a 1960s film. It's nice to see somebody get an abortion and just kind of move on with their life afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. it, these are just things that happen in this movie, that happen in this girl's life. And, I I love an unreliable narrator. I think they did a good job, like juxtaposing what she's saying versus what we're seeing on screen. I I like so much that is going into this movie, but there are just things about it that don't sit right with me, and I don't know if I need to try to give it a rewatch where I'm giving it a little more undivided attention because. It was a film I kind of had to stop start a lot because um, my children and whatnot. So I don't know. Right now, I'm going to say no because I, I do. I do like Diana Scott. I think she's in a, an interesting character. Mm-hmm. I think she's a the perfect person to follow around in this film, and. And I'd probably be a little more willing to say yes if Umbrellas of Shreport weren't in this category because that film's a fucking masterpiece. It is so good. It is so well written. Mm. And uh, it needs to be talked about a lot more by everybody. So uh, Shreport bumps it out for me, but also I I just, I don't know. Maybe maybe I need to revisit this film. But I'm going to give it a tentative no for now. Mm -hmm. But what's positive about it, if they could have expounded upon that and made that more of the film, I would have absolutely said yes. All right. Well, I mean, if anything, you have potentially two more times that we may come back to this movie. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Zach, is this the worst best original screenplay? No, I'm going to uh, mimic my ratings and rankings of last week and give it four stars and put it at number 15. Uh, So it'll one above Father Goose because I think it has um, more to say than that film. Uh, So, yeah, number 15, four stars. All right. Funny enough, I did the same. It is my number 13. One above Father Goose. Okay, I think the I think the uh, the tone of this film 
gave it just a little bit more than what Father Goose did for me. So, Paul. Uh, no, but I gave it three and a half stars. I was kind of teetering between that four, and mm. I think I just kind of came down on the three and a half for now. Uh, and I have it at my 21. I have put it above the seventh veil and just below Princess O'Rourke because I really like that dog in Princess O'Rourke. Yeah. That's interesting company for this film, though. I think those three together. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very interesting uh, triplet of films there. Um, yeah. So that's where I got it. All right. Well, that is where we are going to call it here for today. My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on the Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, and the letterbox at AllTorn underscore Occam. I we had a like Paul had mentioned earlier. I did, we had a quick turnaround. I didn't get to watch anything. I didn't get to go see Godzilla like I said I was going to last week. But uh, goddamn if I'm not going to, so I am going to see that movie in theaters. Oh. In theaters, I want that roar just surrounding me. <laughs> Zach, where can we find you? You can find me on Critiker, Zach Master, X-A-K-K-M-A-S-C-E-R, TikTok, House Havoc, Letterbox by searching my name. Um, I watched the, the Naughty Nine with my kids, and I liked it. I won't say anything more right now. Uh, yeah. Mr. Workman. Uh, I am at Father of the Fear on Instagram and and Letterbox, man, I can't remember anything I ever say here. Uh, Letterbox, keep a running tally of all the films I watched. All right, so full full disclosure, a big part of the reason that I didn't get to watch this movie over the weekend is because I had already planned into the weekend. I was supposed to be by myself all weekend, mm -hmm. and then my younger kid got sick, and I wasn't able to stay home with him, so... Land stayed home and the older kid went to North Carolina where Leanne and the other kid were supposed to go, but he was sick. He's still kind of sick now. Yeah. Um, so, and, and Leanne went to the doctor or called the doctor and they said, no more monkeys jumping on the bed. And apparently there's a stomach bug that's going around right now that can last for 10 to 14 days. Ugh. Yeah, and he's been sick since Tuesday. What's, what's it? I just ah, I'm talking. Yeah, everybody. We're all talking about the sick. This is everybody's sick. Yeah, everybody. Well, it's that you know, it's that time of the I'm, year. I'm still on the mend right now Dang. from from when I lost my voice a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like two weeks ahead of you, I think, on the same thing. So, yeah, or two weeks behind yeah. you. So, yeah. yeah. So. So I was I was supposed to be home all weekend. I had all these little things planned, and then that all kind of a lot of it just kind of went into the trash, except for the things that that I had already like set in stone. Mm. So I worked on Saturday, uh, had D and D Saturday night, and then I had me and Joe had already bought tickets to go see two movies, which is the long explanation of why I didn't go see this. So I was thinking, Hey, I'm going to watch this movie in the morning. I'm going to go see the two movies at the theater. And then I'll watch this movie at night. Well, Leanne went to work and that just kind of went in the trash. And then Joe came over and uh, after the movies and we ate dinner and 
we watched Jane Austen's Mafia instead of me watching this movie because I'm an idiot. <laughs> also, Jane Austen's Mafia doesn't hold up as well as I hoped it would, but also still really funny. Um, so the movies 2023 I ended up watching all on Sunday were uh, May December. Uh, mm-hmm. That fucking rules. It's mm-hmm. so good. Uh, watch that if you get the chance. Uh, I think it. I think Natalie Portman just gets better and better and better, and this mm-hmm. might now be uh, over Black Swan as my favorite performance of hers. Wow, I think she might be my uh, my lead for best actress right now. I'll have to go look back through my list, but she's incredible. Nice. Uh, Julianne Moore, also really good. And uh, the young man in it, whose name just dropped out of my head, he's also great. Chris Texas? I'd only briefly heard about this film, but Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, I'm uh, putting that towards the top of my list. Yeah, I'd put it. It's Todd Haynes, too, who did, like, I'm I'm Not There and uh, uh, Carol. Oh, yeah, right, right. That should go like real high up on the list. Uh, we went and saw the new Nicolas Cage film, Dream Scenario. That was quite a good time. Had a lot of fun. Cool. I laughed a lot when I think I was supposed to. Me and Joe were the only ones laughing through a lot of that movie, and it was weird. <laughs> there were like 10 people in that theater, and we were the only two laughing. Hmm. Especially there's there's a scene that has one of the most well-timed fart jokes I've ever heard. And me and Joe were losing our minds. <laughs> uh, yeah, wonderful. Uh, and then we went and saw the new John Woo film, Silent Night. That sucked. Aww. Yeah. It's a bad I... movie. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Uh, didn't like it. Uh, I laughed a lot when I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> there. There's a moment. I'm just gonna spoil this because I don't give a shit. Like nobody, yeah. nobody cares. There's a moment where he finally kills the uh, the big bad of the movie, uh-huh. and there's these like giant uh, Christmas ornaments above him, and as he's like choking the life out of the big bad that he's been trying to kill through the whole movie, he looks up and sees his son's face in one of those Christmas ornaments, and I lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Like, was he imagining it there, or was it a real reflection? Yeah, it was so stupid. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it happened. Uh, but it did. <laughs> what a dumb movie. It's so bad. I still gave it two stars because I had a good time at the theater watching it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. That's where I was. Zach, what are we watching next week, darling? <laughs> we are watching a French film, Jonathan Grimaces, called uh, A Man and a Woman, which I'm not sure is really available anywhere. I think you can like rent it for a cost on Amazon Prime, but I uh, don't see it anywhere else currently. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's a Criterion film. Oh. A man and a woman. Un homme, un, un femme. Oh, yeah. It's nowhere. I'm sure that Jesus. is the 
exact pronunciation. Said it more German than French. All right. Well, with that, we'd like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Loving Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our podcast. We'd like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We'd like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscarsity Pod and on Facebook, the Oscarsity Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us be seen in the all. Almighty algorithm. Oh, Please give us five stars and we'll put them in the sky. Chase them all our life. Or something. <laughs> so, for Jonathan and Zach and Lawrence Harvey, just look at the mm. goddamn snack in this movie. I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>